Welcome to Rogue News. We are the preeminent geostrategic, geoeconomic, and geopolitical news show on YouTube and on the web. Join us for hard-hitting analysis, behind-the-scenes strategy, and brutal commentary. Find out why many consider us the place to get their news and information. Check us out at roguenews.com. Follow us on Twitter at Real Rogue News, Facebook, and most of the popular podcasting apps. Most of all, remember to subscribe, like, comment, and share. Hey, good morning, good evening, good afternoon, folks. It's V, the Grill Economist, coming to you live on this edition of Rogue News in the Morning. And we have with us the man of the hour who needs no introduction whatsoever. It is Velas. Velas is joining us today. And you can find Velas over at the Discord. And if you need to get into the Discord, you just simply email cjcj at roguenews.com, cj at roguenews.com. And so today is going to be uh, me running solo with Velas. Uh, CJ is going to be out today. Uh, he's got some business things to take care of. And with that being said, Velas, what's up, buddy? How are you? I'm good, man. And, uh, you know, kudos to you, sir, because uh, I remember when you first started doing this for CJ, there were occasions where you would do 30 minutes of a show and then realize you'd been alive. muted the whole time. <laughs> I'm the worst. I swear. It's, it's so bad. <laughs> So, uh, good morning, everybody, and uh, happy Friday the 20th, and, uh, you know, so far, uh, we don't have any crazy national weather like we did a few weeks ago, but as the old saying goes, just just wait a minute, it, it may change at any moment. Yeah. So, anyway. uh, posted on Discord uh, the items I was going to cover today, so uh, let's get into it, unless, V, you had anything you wanted to no. raise first? Okay, cool. Well, let's jump into it. All right. So... Trash pandas, a.k.a. raccoons, uh, seeing as how Rogue is now part of its own incorporated religion in Texas, and uh, no, I'm not kidding, uh, we are an incorporated religion now, uh, we need to discuss trash pandas, a.k.a. raccoons. Uh, some of you may know things like a group of crows is called a murder rather than a flock. or a group Correct, of a owl, murder of crows. Right, and a group of owls is called a parliament, which I always thought was kind of cool. A group of raccoons is called a gaze because they tend to gather and just observe, which gaze I think is bi biblically funny and appropriate for the Rogue News audience because we gaze. So to all you gaze. Well, you know, depending there, on what culture and uh, what demographic and what area of the country you're from, if you tell people that we gaze, that just means we're gay. But, you know, but gay, gaze as in G-A-Z-E. See, that's that's the beauty of the industries I work in, because I often find myself <laughs> having to spell words because it means like the same term means a couple of different things. And we got to make clear to everybody what's going on. G-A-Z as in Zulu, E as in Echo. Uh, also worth noting, uh, V to you and CJ, uh, there's a, a vigorous uh, amount of activity on the Discord page of, of late with our, our listeners, uh, with people picking out their various uh, warrior trash pandas as avatars. Somebody picked it. one for um, Matthew Arrett that was kind of cool. It's got like a a smoking vest and pants 
and with like books under its arms or whatever. And I thought that nice. was pretty cool. Now, Annie 14, of course, she has a hot babe with a sword, but everybody else went with, went with uh, a form of panda. Uh, earlier this week on the show with Gus, and I know you and I were texting about this, um, man, I was crying on this side of the, of the screen when I was watching Gus's show when you guys had the German police being pushed over by Gandalf. That, that was the bomb. <laughs> Cue the Benny Hill song a theme. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> oh my god. Oh, it's so symbolic of where Germany is as a country. It's so symbolic. Oh. There's so, so much you can get out of that. Just a little clarity, folks. Um, some of you may have noticed, I know there was some chatter on. And by the way, when I say Discord a lot of times, please keep in mind. Um I'm currently, like, if you've ever seen the side of the screen when CJ's hosting the shows, he CJ, I think, is, like, on 10 or 15 different Twitter channels or Twitch channels at this point, but, uh, or Discord, I'm sorry, Discord. Um, but I'm on a number, I'm on a number of them myself. So, uh, you know, Frank's, uh, and then uh, our, our uh, ever-lurking friend Patrick Ryan out there in the ether, uh, and a couple of other folks. So it's, it's, quite cool actually uh i know i joke about this but but the analogy makes sense i mean it truly is like the borg from star trek all of these different people exchanging and thinking through problems and what's going on and communicating information and in a number of cases let's be honest uh kind of encouraging each other not to get too too down about the situation we find ourselves in so along those lines a number of you may have seen, or or there was some chatter on on the Discord channel, uh, ours and Frank's, uh, most notably, uh, about the CEO of the pharmaceutical firm Pfizer, uh, who was attending the Davos meetings in Switzerland this week, and uh, quote unquote was ambushed by the media, uh, by you know a rebel news group, uh, which is complete and total BS, folks. Um, I've I've worked with not necessarily well I have I've worked with a couple of retired C level executives CEOs CFOs and so on of of very large firms, but I've even worked with with divisional vice presidents and presidents of major corporations. The security teams protecting corporate executives, folks, at times are more capable and more extensive than the people who protect heads of state. Because in a lot of cases, not to be indelicate, these folks used to do that kind of work and can make a lot more money protecting high-powered C-level executives. So when you're representing, you're the CEO, for God's sakes, of one of the top 10 most hated companies on earth, I'm pretty damn sure he's got everybody from from ex-Bulgarian and Romanian intelligence to ex-Mossad. So for him to be suddenly confronted by reporters without his knowledge uh that's a complete setup don't have any illusions about that whatsoever that was a complete and total setup and in my opinion it's part of the globals campaign that's been going on of late kind of you know in the background where there there are more and more now arguing speech has to be monitored and managed to uh, avoid disinformation trying to use incidents like that to show our lives are in danger oh yeah i'll go cry <laughs> Alco Cowboy, I'm Assad Krabs. Yes, from the movie The Gentleman, which is just probably one of the one of the finest uh, Guy Ritchie films he's ever produced. Um, my Assad Krabs will kill you. Um, FAA pilot heart guidelines. Uh, a couple of you may not be aware of this. I posted a Discord article on Thursday uh, regarding uh, the FAA recently widened 
uh, the acceptable limits on EKG tests for pilots. Uh, I'm sure many of you have heard that the world's wealthy want their private jet pilots to be unvaccinated, which I find interesting. Um, Why is that? I, I, the vax is safe and effective and 99% and all that other good stuff. Well, and I'll go a little bit back, folks, into a comment I made on a prior show. Uh, because it's me and I read too much and I talk to many people and ask too many questions in, in airport bars, um, I, I had some kind of strange allergies when I grew up. I had an allergy to chocolate, uh, which I later discovered was due to uh, bovine growth hormone in, in milk. I had a number of relatives that regardless of what our ages were, all of a sudden we started getting like asthmatic reactions to both milk and chocolate at the same time. And I had a kid growing up that was allergic to, as I'm sure many of you are now familiar, this whole thing about uh, peanut oil or, or peanuts. Um, uh, I've got a friend, in fact, who their, their son has an allergy to, to peanut oil and they've got the little uh, needle they have to carry with them in case he should accidentally come in contact with it. You'll see on packaging and stuff, little warnings that say, hey, uh, you know, we keep this food moist uh, through the use of, of peanut oil and so on. Um, but one of the things I found interesting, and I actually read a medical article or two about this, was is that there were kids for whom they could come in contact with peanut butter, you know, at a lunch table at elementary or middle school or whatever, or packaging and had no reaction. But the minute they got on a commercial airline flight at altitude, all of a sudden they've, they've got serious problems. And there was this big dust up with the American Medical Association and others back in the early 90s. I remember it vividly where there were these incidents where on a number of occasions a kid almost died on an airline flight and a doctor comes running up and asks the family, uh, has, your, has your son or daughter had any contact with, with peanuts? And whether they did or they didn't, the doctor was able to, to basically open their throat and allow them to, to breathe or ask the pilot to reduce altitude. For some reason, and this is beyond my pay grade, the pressurization that uh, takes place when you're flying in a commercial jet or even in a private aircraft, something about the added pressure on the body. Tends it's, called to cause... a, it's called vasoconstriction. It occurs when you're at altitude. Uh, and then what happens is there's vasoconstriction occurs. Your body naturally is supposed to trigger the production of erythropoietin, which is the red blood cells, to help compensate for the enhanced al uh, altitude. But if you got some issues going on, then that's not happening. And then you got some issues. Boom. So it's the same thing here is that you've got pilots that they're okay, relatively speaking, but then they, they get to altitude flying an aircraft and they're starting to have problems. So. Yep means that there something is blocking up or gunking up their arterial or, exactly. and or capillary flows. Gee, I wonder what that is. So the Federal Aviation Administration changed the guidelines quietly for pilots, and this is what I posted to Discord, where they've broadened the range that's acceptable for heart tests and similar for pilots to still be allowed to fly. And this is just another leak in the dam that's about to burst. And of course not to keep harping on this, but recall what I said, you know, this time last year about the the COOF topic and coming news stories, both in 2022 and now in 2023, the volume and type of disclosures about who ordered what, what was known at the time, inoculations were approved, who was paid, the list goes on, not the least of which is the loss of life. These sorts of things are going to continue to leak out. And this is also why uh, I posted on on discord last evening that that um 
it's a little extreme. It's his call. Uh, but Brendan O'Connell uh, made a comment recently on his private chat channel that that, uh, and I've mentioned Brendan before, that he feels that the narrative on a lot of things right now is falling apart. Yep. And they they quote unquote they need a major distraction, and so he. He, he put it out there. Uh, I know we had a lot of talk about it a while back, um, but he threw it out there that he feels that there's probably in the next three, his 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 estimate is in the next three months, we may see somebody detonate a, a battlefield nuke in Ukraine, that that they need something big enough to distract the global population from all of these these various things that are starting to break down. We will see. Uh, I'm not going near that neighborhood right now, <laughs> uh, but at the same time, it's like I, I, you know, as I've often said, uh, Brendan's analysis a lot in a lot of, of occasions is is pretty spot on, and it's been said by many on that topic before. We'll just have to see. Uh, U.S. lithium production, uh, the Inflation Reduction Act, which U.S. government passed a while ago, had provisions to encourage more lithium production in the United States, lithium being used in electric uh, vehicles in a wide variety of applications, not just the batteries. There was $370 billion in that bill, because evidently we just have unlimited money, uh, for solar, wind, and electric investments. I can hear the swine eating at the trough for those firms that knew that money was coming. Um, Interestingly, that does not mean expansion of the one lithium plant we have in Nevada. It also included expansions in North Carolina and Tennessee. So they hope to build these new facilities in Tennessee, North Carolina, plus a second or third facility in Nevada uh, soon. I did also post that one on Discord. Speaking of Mike Moore as well as Brendan O'Connell, um, they have both pointed out of late several people they've interviewed on their shows in the past two years or so to promote folks' work. Uh, in their view, have sold out shortly thereafter. Uh, they both have acknowledged they kind of got played and they'll be a bit more cautious. Now, this does beg the question, well, what's going on? Well, as soon as someone produces a good documentary, let's say Millennial Millie's famous Shadowgate or her other one that she did on, which I thought was actually more disturbing, on how uh, charities that involve children were using kids for violent activism uh, because rarely will law enforcement arrest somebody under the age of 17. Um, these people get approached and then bought off. It's kind of like the lottery. Uh, the takeaway is is that uh, both of these guys are being more careful about who they work with, given their past experience. And, you know, Millennial Millie's two documentaries were very good, and that's why she was bought off. Tim Robbins uh, had an epiphany of late, the actor, uh, and I'm not saying this in a sarcastic way in the slightest, uh, certainly a strong advocate of liberal causes along with his wife. Um, he's been quite vocal of late about his thoughts on how wrong the COVID response has gone, uh, even describing it as a cult, which kind of blew my mind. Um, and of course, because Tim Robbins is no longer singing the party line, I mean, he is a true liberal, but but he's no longer singing the party line. So he's he's been kicked out of out of interviews with anybody outside of Russell Brand of late. Um, you never know in a major hatchet burying, he might even appear on Tucker Carlson at some point. Power supplies. Could we have a single act that takes out the power grid? It's possible, but unlikely, because as we've discussed here on Rogue, the U.S. power grid, for a wide variety of reasons, is very decentralized. Now, could several attacks of the right kind pull it off? Well, no comment. 
We have the famous Northern California attack, which I've mentioned often back in the fall of 2013 and the recent events in Washington State and Virginia. It's also worth noting is the fact that due to the high value of metals and power substations and related, um, there's been an increase in thefts and attempted thefts uh, at, those, at those facilities. Mike Moore at True Pundit had an industry expert on his program last week reviewing a number of takeaways about this topic. And uh, I wanted to raise a couple of these. Um, you know, I know some folks have said, well, I need to get a backup generator or whatever. That's, that's your call. Same thing with the solar panels. I mean, everybody's got to kind of look at what their own kind of prepping needs to be without necessarily... <laughs> going as crazy as some of the folks I saw on the on the TV show that showed various preppers, including the guy out in Arizona that tried to develop an ecosystem in his pool in his backyard. Um, there are multiple grids across the United States, and some of them are interconnected and some of them are completely isolated, case in point, West Texas versus East Texas. And that's both a good and a bad thing. Um, and if you do have a generator, remember to get the long-term storage additive uh, and add that to your fuel. And of course, with this discussion again about power outages or the possibility thereof, it, it's just yet another reminder about anything that stores long term, whether it's rice or beans or soups, flour, uh, yeast, and uh, hydration waters or things you can add to water, uh, whether Propel Gatorade, uh, having other medicines on hand. Something I've come across as of late is something called LMNT which is a little powder that you add to, I before I go work out at the gym, it's an electrolyte mix. Uh, it's got potassium and magnesium in it, but it has a, a very clean form of sodium. Uh, now, I know there's always this, this you know, warning about you, you got to get salt out of your diet. Part of the problem with salts in our diet in the United States or our foods is it's the nitrites, especially in meat. Uh, the stuff I take to work out at the gym is, is a very clean kind of salt. Um, and... Uh, I do, I do feel a lot better working out with it. But again, we keep talking about this topic of, of the power grid and so on. If we did have an incident or an issue, it, it should, in theory, be isolated and most probably on one of the coasts uh, if it did happen. But also equally remember, this is why prepping for something like this is important because nothing drives up sales margins like panic buying. Remember the whole toilet paper thing during uh, COVID. Oh, look, at, also, look, look at egg smuggling. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, that also goes for metro areas that have to buy replacement transformers or big power equipment uh, as well. I've covered on a couple of shows about how, uh, what do you call it, when I worked with GE, how long it would take to actually develop transformers or even generators if something, uh, if something did blow. Uh, the glitches with the FAA of late. Um, I'm just speaking to what goes on in my industry, folks, and processes that have been in place since the 1970s. When we hear uh, a specific airline's IT system has gone down or the FAA system a couple of days ago, um, please recall the following. In the world of information technology operations, especially U.S. federal agencies, um, there's a lot of processes that are in place before anybody starts messing around with, with IT operation systems. And just a little primer here. In our world, or one of the many worlds I've worked in, we have what we call pre-production and production environments. Now, whether that's a computer data center or it's something offshore or it's the cloud, whatever it might be, there are environments, computer servers and storage and so on that are set up to kind of replicate 
the environment where to, to use banking or insurance, you know, the IT systems you use to make money and that your clients interacting with like bank software or whatever, we call those production environments. Pre-production is where you write software if you need to, or you test out software or you test out hardware. And we use those pre-production environments for everything from like software or hardware or a patch, uh, which is just kind of a corrective piece of uh, software that's that's loaded in to fix some problems that might exist with a piece of software to make sure that nothing goes sideways. You don't just load that stuff into like bank software and watch everybody's bank accounts go to zero. You test that stuff out in, a, in what we call a pre-production environment. It's a completely separated environment. On almost all occasions, it is physically separated. There's no way for the two environments to talk to, to each other. So that's how you avoid outages and system failures just at kind of a physical level. Then you've got to deal with the fact that there's a whole bunch of processes in place, plus permissions about who's allowed to even get into those systems. So anyone, and I mean anyone, can't just load something into a production environment. There's there's a whole bunch of steps you got to go through. And there's this constant garbage in the media about, well, some a system administrator loaded something they weren't supposed to do. No, that's a lie, especially with a, fe a federal agency. I can't, I mean, in, my, <laughs> in the projects I've run, I can't get federal agencies to do stuff that they've authorized me to do. <laughs> much less just somebody <laughs> saying, oh, uh, we needed to load in a new airline route uh, into the FAA system, Bob. Why don't you just load that in? Um, and if somebody actually did do that, they'd never work in the industry again. Um, the other thing is, is, is somebody loading in such data into the FAA system would have to bypass actual living people whose job it is to double and triple check and say, well, wait a minute, well, we, when we did this in the pre-production environment, did we do it two or three times to make sure there's not going to be a problem. So what actually happened when that FAA system went down? Well, in my opinion, there's only two options of what could have occurred. Number one, and especially because you were dealing with aged federal systems, it's possible that due to the age of those systems or the lack of proper maintenance, the systems failed in some way. Uh, think of an internal combustion engine running out of oil. Uh, it, it, it does tend to happen. Those systems become overwhelmed with the amount of data that's in there. They just don't have the memory. The second is sabotage of, of some kind. Uh, and that's a very wide topic, and it, and it could be everything from hackers to disgruntled people inside the organization, uh, or the big one that we often talk about here at Rogue. Uh, it was intentional by the agency or somebody higher up on the food chain. And if you really want to go down that rabbit hole, especially with the FAA outage, uh, you know, it's out there. Uh, it's in the public domain. Was it was it germane or not? I don't know. But there were a considerable number of airline or. Uh, military refueling tankers who were in the air while all those other commercial flights were on the ground. So what that interesting has, has I don't know, but for those interesting. of you for those of you who know what a, a KC-135 is, yes, uh, as well as what is it, the KC-40, the, the new one, the, the um, KC-110? Oh, no, no the I thought it was like the 47 or something. But um, now Tucker Carlson brought up that the Philippines went down too, along with Canada, after our system failed, which I did not know about the Philippine angle. Now, Tucker's comment uh, was, he said, yes, thank you. Tucker said it could be uh, hackers ransoming those systems. Now, the only issue I've got with that is, is that there's, I mean, everybody from the FBI InfraGuard to, to uh, a number of industry publications and stuff that are out there that, that you can go to the websites and go look the stuff up. Um, 
I've even got one called the Solar Weather website or something like that. And it covers everything from solar activity causing satellites to go dark to a whole host of other other things. It's as I often say, the data is out there. You just got to know where to find it. Um, but the problem I've got with somebody extorting money is, is that even when it comes to very large banks, there, there was a couple of years ago before, before COVID, there were a couple of major international banks that got hit by hackers who said, we're shutting down your systems or we're releasing your clients' uh, financial data if you don't pay us money. Well, they did pay them and they did pay them in, in cryptocurrencies. But in every single case, the hackers got nailed bad. And in a couple of cases, you extort the United States government. I mean, as I've often said, it takes a lot to get that brontosaurus moving, but <laughs> they do have the black book with the bad people in it that they call when there's a problem that absolutely positively has to be fixed. And if you extort like the FAA for money, trust me, the U.S. government's got really bad people on the payroll that will go pay those folks a visit. So, you know, short of, uh, strangely enough, I was watching uh, Thunderball last night, James Bond movie. Um, we, you know, these hackers are not Spectre. They cannot have you dump uh, diamonds off the coast of Burma uh, and use their little, their little uh, s submarines in a James Bond film to go pick up the diamonds. So it's like, was it, was it uh, some form of extortion? It, it could have been. Uh, it's just, again, it's, it's, a, it's a very unusual event. Our FAA system went down, then Canada's system went down when ours was back up, and then the Philippines somewhere during that period went down. And then while our flights were grounded, uh, there were a significant number, more than is normal, uh, of refueling tankers that, that took to the air. So, you know, do that you That is your interesting. Jeez, Louisa. That's, that's what's wild. That's wild. So, uh, artificial normal. intelligence. AI, who's monitoring this show right now. I love uh, you, AI. We love AI here. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not joking. Uh, it's a big topic, uh, and I'm, I'm, I want to make kind of a particular takeaway for all of you today on this one. Um, you know, I've worked with IT architects in the in the artificial intelligence space. I've worked with IT consultants, uh, not not heavy, but but close enough where I can pick up the phone and go call the right people and say, "Hey, XYZ article came out. Is is there any legitimacy to this?" Um, and in the 1990s, I worked with with telecommunications folks that were putting together systems uh, that were extremely high speed that would be necessary for these sorts of systems uh, to even function or the building blocks of artificial intelligence. Now, there's a number of systems out there, uh, dare one say software, that are marketed or billed as artificial intelligence, and they are flatly not AI. Now, why do I say that? There are software systems used in call centers for 1-800-HELPLINES and supply chain planning, and the list goes on, who are very well built. And in the case of, you know, call centers, and not just you press the button and say, I need a, a billing issue or I need a new piece of equipment or whatever. I'm talking about the ones where the minute it sees your phone number, it's got a whole profile and the software is going through a series of, of pre-identified steps to send you to the right person before you even start talking or, or pressing buttons to get your call directed to the right place. Um, these systems are only as good as what we call the tables um, and instructions who are part of the data in those systems. Now, there are some very advanced what we call math engines who help calculate the most appropriate place uh, a call should go or a supply chain system 
should should direct or guide uh, people as far as how much stock you've got on the on the warehouse shelves. But these systems do not have human-like intuition studying whether or not uh, weather storms that are moving across the United States are going to increase call traffic to call centers or or increase spare part needs. Um, there's a ton of people in the industry I've spoken to who've told me a number of horror stories about these software products. And the reason is because the companies who sell them and the sales reps who sell them have overhyped what specifically was artificial intelligence about them. It's kind of like when you hear people talk about the cloud. Oh, the cloud, the cloud. We're putting our data in the cloud. And of course, every place I ever work or every client I ever visit on people's workspaces or cubes or whatever, they always have these little signs that like show a very angry person with a thought cloud that says, it's it's just another person's system. It's nothing special. You know, stop talking about the cloud like it's a new technology. Um, I've got colleagues of mine I've worked with in industry who've said that they are weekly, if not daily, having to update those process models and those decision trees and the data in those systems. Uh, this to correct errors in what the data is producing or where folks are directed in call centers, what supply chain decisions are, are made. Um, it's not artificial intelligence. It's a very complex and very expensive piece of software, but it requires constant human input to keep them functioning. And that's why the firms who buy this stuff get eventually very mad because they're of the impression, well, the software is just doing its own thing. It's like a free person who's just sitting there doing work. And it's like, no, either the vendor or your own people have to keep going back in there because you introduced a new product or you have a new option that's available when somebody calls the call center or your supply chain now has to include new components of things. All of that stuff has to be manually updated. And I've been in the room where these executives are just losing their minds. Well, it's artificial intelligence. And it's like, right, because sales didn't explain to you what part of this was just very advanced software. But it's not it's not sitting there thinking to itself, playing chess during lunch, uh, updating itself. So the software still has a very big human element, just like we did from the 1970s to today. Now, we've been using Cray supercomputers since the 70s to crank out highly complex analysis for business and government. Uh, NASA used, used uh, in fact, NASA had these, was one of the first adopters of using these supercomputers that have fluid, literally clear glass, where you can see the motherboards and things with the chips on them. And they're bathed in this, in this liquid. Uh, that does not conduct electricity, but does remove the heat because the stuff produces massive, massive amounts of heat. And all of that stuff was very expensive. It was very capable, did a lot of new stuff, could crank numbers faster than we'd ever seen before. But it wasn't artificial intelligence. It wasn't even close to artificial intelligence. And even in my own case, I've mentioned this before, the University of Michigan and the Political Science International Affairs Universe, uh, they're kind of known for one of their areas of expertise is they have all this voting data at both the local and federal level. And I even used those systems when I was an undergraduate college to study kind of some interesting correlations I came up with with voting behavior. But the human component was still part of that. So are there truly artificial intelligence systems out there for real? The answer is yes, there are. But they're violently expensive. Now, one place I can tell you factually who's using these types of systems is that particular intelligence agency here in the United States with that big data inhaler out in Utah that I've talked about a couple of times. 
they definitely are using AI systems because they have that kind of money. Now, there's still a human element that keeps that stuff up to date and tweaks it. But on the whole, the system is, is far better at managing itself on its own. But the human element always remains. And this is, I'm joking, but I'm serious. This is when we get into discussions that are out there in the trade press, as well as in the MIT, you know, Massachusetts Institute of Technology Universe about human DNA being used in these systems. Now, the origination of that, ironically, was an old Star Trek episode about <clears throat> the famous character in the canon of Star Trek called Dr. Daystrom, where in the 1960s episode, he was unable to get his computers to achieve the next leap in functionality. So in that episode of Star Trek, it was revealed he used his own DNA to help the system basically think more effectively. The problem was is that he was a bit unbalanced and so was his computer. So there's two takeaways about this. The first is we've often heard about AI systems who are exhibiting borderline psychotic tendencies because the human programmers aren't perfect and neither is the system. There's a couple of articles out there. I know Elon Musk has weighed in on this, but there's a couple of articles out there where folks have talked about, well, we had this AI system and the longer it kept operating, the more it kept coming to the conclusion that the human race is the problem and it needs to get rid of human beings. <laughs> so it's like, okay, well, we better shut that off and start again. <laughs> um, so the problem with some of these AI systems is, is that depending on what you let them run, you start opening the door to unintended consequences. I mean, like in the ultimate example is, is Skynet from uh, Terminator, which as I've shared with all of you, um, really goes back to uh, another early 1970s movie, movie called The Forbin Project, where in the film, uh, the United States had developed a, a self-aware computer system to manage uh, our, our nuclear defense systems. And unbeknownst to us, the Soviet Union created their own. And the two computers started talking to each other and decided, you know what? I think we know what the problem is. <laughs> and so the two machines started taking over the world. Uh, and there's been a number of dis uh, discussions on Discord a couple of days ago, which is why I'm, I'm also raising this. But the other thing I wanted to leave you all with is this. Ask yourselves a question. What would happen if global governments or NGOs like our friends at the World Economic Forum or the Atlantic Council or any of the other many, many groups I, we often raise here on RUG, what would happen if those groups said that XYZ artificial intelligence system has indicated that the world needs to pursue a particular global strategy? But no such system ever did that. It was just human beings saying, oh, well, we're, we're making these decisions because this AI system told us it's it's the best way to go. Plausible deniability. There it here, is here, and that and that and that makes eugenics and a digital economy a lot easier. Oh, it does absolutely. So, oh, the modeling, the computer model. These guys, and and this is the thing. This is why this whole AI thing has been really been a mass um, a psychological operation, making people think that these are sentient living uh, entities or intelligences uh, that's existing within the computer code itself. No, it, it it isn't. These things are flawed. They're they're programmed. These are just advanced computer programs that are programmed with the biases of the creators and those who wrote the, the program to begin with. That's all they are. Uh, Green Machine. I did like Free Guy. Uh, that was pretty good. And Texas Tom Payne. To your point, uh, that's why Asimov's three laws are <laughs> very simple, but but incredibly well written. Um, but yeah, the problem, folks, is is we have to beware that a human being, you know, the great Oz is behind the curtain, but yet we're all being told 
it's it's an AI system. And and another kind of a strange parallel I'll throw out there or commentary is this. It has since been realized in both the the um, non-traditional alternative archaeology community as well as is even more traditional archaeological research that both in the case of the Greeks and the Egyptians, it has since been realized that in a lot of these temples and so on, um, I wouldn't call it magic exactly, but there were things done to people that were were coming into those temples and making offerings where the the big statue of Zeus or whatever it might be would would move or the eyes would open or whatever. And not to be indelicate, but the worshipers would think it's real or that their offering was accepted or that they had received guidance from the gods or whatever. And 100% of the time, the priest class was behind the statue, like the great Oz, moving these things about but the public the public didn't know and it's it's kind of the same thing uh in our modern era and and if i may uh to kind of channel uh jet blake's uh content from this week about certain kind of patterns uh in history that tend to keep uh popping up uh that that certainly caught my attention at Jet, Jet's show this week. I don't always get the chance to catch Jet's show, and admittedly, some of the stuff Jet talks about, I have to kind of rub, rub my temples and go, I don't have that much DMT to go down that rabbit hole right now, Jet. Uh, <laughs> sounds good. I just can't. I just can't go there at the moment, but but he's got good stuff. I do, I do, uh, I do like Jet's Jet's material, and that that part of his program this week definitely uh, it definitely spoke to me. Um, on the topic of technology transfer, Brendan O'Connell floated an interesting idea recently. I think we brought this up on Rogue before, but in case we hadn't. Um, and I know this will sound a little strange, but just give me a little room here. Um, he threw out the idea that the, uh, and I know what you think of, of this uh, particular platform, V, that the F-35 fighter was built solely as a technology transfer mechanism to those countries who are buying them. Uh, as well as those countries who are stealing its technology. Um, you, ca you can't have adversaries you can scare the public about if their technology falls too far behind. And I did cover this on another show about what, I wouldn't say what really was going on, because there's a lot of things that were really going on during Vietnam that aren't necessarily in the public domain. But a number of sources have factually proven that the Soviet Union and China were receiving growing levels of technical data on U.S. weapon systems uh, during the war, both from captured material as well as from captured U.S. military personnel. And so what happened was the Soviet Union and China started developing better weapon systems that were starting to outperform uh, ours during the conflict. And this enabled the U.S. military industrial complex, uh, the weapons manufacturers, to justify higher prices on the new systems because, quote, we got to keep up. It's like, well, you wouldn't have been needing to keep up if you hadn't been basically allowing them to get their hands on our technology and reverse engineer it. Not that this whole thing isn't one big scheme, but anyway. Technology and our fellow human beings. Uh, in the classic 1950s science fiction movie, Forbidden Planet, uh, a young Leslie Nielsen, prior to his fame from the movie Airplane, uh, plays an Earthship commander looking for a lost group of scientists. He finds a single survivor and that guy's daughter uh, on a planet once occupied by a race called the Krell. Uh, movie has a ton of themes who were borrowed in TV shows and movies in years to come. 
including even kind of the the three-way leadership uh, structure there on on the 1960s Star Trek of Captain Kirk, Spock, and and Dr. McCoy was was kind of the theme out of or the the model they used in that film. Not bad for a, 19, a very campy 1950s movie. The film's storyline lays out how advanced the Krell were and had known thousands of years of peace. Uh, they were in the process of developing a great technical achievement, but when in a single night their entire race went extinct, and the doctor or the scientist and his daughter uh, were remaining on that planet to try and figure out what happened. What's explained later is the machine they built would enable any Krell to manifest their thoughts into physical objects or what you might even call sentient manifestations. Uh, the Krell also had learning machines they used with their children that would allow their children to advance their minds by by working problems and, and solving things uh, inside these learning machines. However, the problem was is the learning machines, especially for human beings, you had to be very careful because if if you stayed connected to the thing for too long, it, it could kill you unless you had, had sufficiently advanced mentally to handle kind of the next level, which also goes to my whole thing about the 33 degrees and there's just some information people can't handle. One of the members of the crew from Earth does exactly that, and while he's dying, he explains to the ship captain what happened to the Krell. Uh, for all of their advancement socially and technologically, they never escaped their primal instincts. You can lie to others, but your subconscious cannot lie to itself. And hundreds of thousands of years before when the story took place, the Krell had actually turned on the machine, and all their hidden resentments and deep-seated demons manifested things that killed them all. And at the end of the film, the Earth scientist who's living on the planet tells everyone to escape, and he activates a, a planetary self-destruct because he has to. The technology is too dangerous for anyone. Now, kind of three primary items out of this that kind of apply to all of us in the rogue community. The first is our friends in these global non-governmental organizations like the World Economic Forum, who are meeting this week or have been, they, like the Krell, believe they're above our baser instincts kind of reminds me of the old intellectual arguments in academia about you know is it possible to create true marxism and it's like but you're never you're the the number one criticism of marxism and communism was always you haven't addressed the individual self-interest you can't just expect people to sacrifice for other people they don't know there's a there's a whole host of things that, that are are connected to that so our friends who are meeting in Switzerland and eating fine food uh, are a bit disconnected in understanding the basic elements of uh, the human condition. Yeah, just a little bit. Just a little. I yeah. uh, I also posted an article on Tuesday. I'm sure a number of you have seen this, but when I saw it, I thought, "Dear God, man, you have just absolutely lost control of your senses." And no, it's not Al Gore. Uh, I posted an article on Tuesday about John Kerry who was speaking at the World Economic Forum, where he said that they had achieved, and I'm quoting, extraterrestrial-like power and awareness of what the Earth needs. <laughs> that means that the haircut looking for a brain, a.k.a. John Kerry, has done a copious, a ridiculous amount of acid. Yes, and that is exactly what it means. These Do not take the brown acid. Down. The brown acid is not good for you. No, and that's exactly what he took. What a moron. Oh, God. Second hey, item. And did, you know, I'm looking at Davos and I'm laughing my head off. <laughs> I'm laughing my head off. Talk about a giant circle jerk of some of the most uneducated morons 
it with fake fraudulent degrees. So and so is a degree in in social science. So and so is a degree in political science with an emphasis on on on, on strategic Russian maritime studies. All fake fraudulent degrees. It's incredible. And they all get together and have a massive circle jerk and forecast into a vacuum and and hype each other up and hyperventilate. And this then is, they then they hire escorts and prostitutes to come in and serve. This is this is the epitome, folks, of of an echo chamber or or group thing. One hundred percent. You know, not one one of my many forays in graduate school. Um, it, it both it, which is funny because we covered this in my international affairs grad school stuff with Air Force Intel mostly, but also some other people who those were not their real names while they attended class talking about the dangers in government or defense contracting or battlefield situations of how, when people are being shot at in anger, do you not fall into the trap of groupthink when every second you delay is critical? When I did my MBA, ironically, I could bring a different perspective to my classmates by saying, by the way, your friends over in defense, you know, good, bad, or ill, but your friends over in the intelligence community, the defense contracting community and government, have the exact same problems because you don't want to sit there and argue all day about stuff, but at the same time you have to build some consensus, but, but you can, you can uh, overly agree yourselves into extinction if you're not careful. Um, and to, to V's point about people of certain kinds of degrees, many, many of those degrees of which I have, but uh, I was at a dinner party recently, uh, and met some. I met a, a guy from who uh, in my area uh, runs a business where he um, repairs damaged drywall and, and buildings and stuff. And he's a self-made person. And he, you know, went to high school. That was it. And he and I started talking, and he kind of shrugged and said, "Well, you you've probably got you know a deeper background and number of things than I do." And I, I looked at him and I said, "Let's let's let's just throw." throw it on the table. I said, yeah, I went to school a lot and I got a bunch of degrees, but I'm like, I, I was able to pay for that by doing things like oil changes on Mack trucks with 18 liters of oil, where mm. I'm underneath the truck with a technician because it's like, I got to pay for this stuff. And I did actual work. So, you know, I told the guy I was talking to, I said, I've got nothing but total respect for you building, building the business the way you did because you didn't have the advantage of, of what a lot of people believe is, is the value of a higher education. But to V's point, part of the problem, and I saw it in academia, is the same thing. You've, well, and I mean, it goes to the heart of the stuff we cover here on the show about alternative archaeology. No one wants to entertain the idea that Graham Hancock might be right. Nobody wants to believe that Freddie Silva might be right. Nobody wants to believe that Brendan Carlson might be right, because we'd have to rewrite all our books. Mm -hmm. So on, on this particular topic of, of the Krell and how it relates to our modern world, um, the other narrative I would offer about our, our friends at the uh, non-governmental organization level is it also reminds me of Joel, Jeff Goldblum's comment from Jurassic Park, the first movie, where he kind of confronted the guy who, who built the park on the little, little island off the coast of South America and said, you only cared whether or not you could bring extinct species back to life and instead of asking, should you? And that's kind of how I feel about the artificial intelligence thing. You know, it's it's the danger of certain, I don't want to say academics, but but certain people at that level 
who sit around going, wouldn't it be really cool if we created a self-aware machine? And not to go there, but I, I worked with some really smart people uh, who, who told me years ago, we can't get past the physics uh, impediment that computer chips can only operate so fast. Of course, yes, we've modified certain uh, pieces of the microprocessors from uh, steel to copper uh, and a couple of other little tweaks that we've done. Okay, we've squeezed out a little bit more, more computational ability. But the only way, and I've heard this over and over and over again, and there's a number of papers that have been written on it, the only way to achieve even faster self-aware machines is literally like the Human Genome Project I told you all about from the, from the 1980s and early 1990s. You'd have to literally use human DNA. That is the only way to do it. And the minute you start going down that road, uh, beyond the fact you're playing God, uh, and you're playing God, um, is I am terrified of the prospect <laughs> of what may come out of that lab. And then the third item is, is, and I've been reading a number of discussions on on all the different Discord channels about people's mutual frustrations and trying to have a civil conversation with those they know or family members um, who just are of a mind that they want to follow every government edict, every university trend or directive, uh, and every inoculation order. And, you know, my, my counsel would be much like the Corell's learning machine. We have to remember this is a process. And like the line from the matrix, some people are just not ready to be unplugged yet. We can't force or accelerate this process, everybody, uh, because we risk pushing some people into the equivalent of a psychotic episode. I mean, I remember folks who they had a lot of skill in a particular area. And the decision was made with folks in their early 20s who, in my personal opinion, didn't have much life experience and had a whole lot of problems in their life, <laughs> lawnmowered out of the way by their parents and others, who suddenly found themselves uh, being issued very, very high security clearances of secret compartmentalized or similar. And I remember watching these people getting debriefed on, we'll just call it stuff, and they had to leave the building. They, they would go to a bar and sit in a corner, literally with their back to the wall, looking at the door. And I would cruise in there a little later and just the sweat is pouring down their face and I'm looking at them and, and they're like, I don't even know I can go back to the office. And it's like, I, you know, forgive my language. I need you to get your shit together. Cause it's like, whether you were ready for this or not, that's not the point. You're in it now. So there's, I mean, <laughs> we're, we're falling out of the plane ready to pull the parachute cords. There's nothing we can do. But I had no idea. Oh, my God. I mean, to think that, and it's like, yeah, yeah, everything going through your brain right now. And, and I totally get that. And my recommendation is, is you get up early tomorrow and you go to the gym and go work out. And then you're walking back into that building and we've got to go do stuff. And it's the same thing. There's a lot of us, you know, those of you listening to today's program, that, we are aware of things or have come to understand things that many people we care about or, or close family members or just those we know are still struggling with. And, and we've got to give those folks the time they need. And equally, we got to look in the mirror. And I'm speaking of myself as well. We've got to check our own egos because as much as we think we know, there's even more yet to come. So we've got to be understanding with ourselves. We've got to be understanding with, with those out there that are, are struggling. I have a couple of folks who I'm close with that are, are um, 
struggling with just the data that's coming out. And I, I had a couple of family members right around the holidays make a comment to me about, uh, okay, fine, I've seen the film of these athletes falling over, but it's it's the uh, it's the normal three by five uh, card response they were given <laughs> by the system uh, about. Well, I want to see a peer reviewed article, and it's like, okay, well, we just posted a peer reviewed article on Discord about two weeks ago on on these side effects and so on. Uh, we've got data coming out now that that even Pfizer has publicly stated that they're looking into whether or not there may be some side effects. And of course, everyone's personal favorite, uh, Moderna, not even addressing the core issue and just saying, and for those of you having heart problems, we have a new medication. <laughs> Jesus on the cross. But anyway, there's a lot of folks out there that their whole lives... They don't want to believe that the go. It's like, oh yeah, the government lies to us. You know the Kennedy thing, blah blah blah. And it's like Kennedy, <laughs> shit, man. That's like a first degree Mason. <laughs> We're up here at like level twenty five. Wait till you hit twelve. I don't even know you're going to survive the night. So it's like there's a lot of folks out there that are struggling hard. And and I know there's kind of a narrative. And Augusta said it that you know he was kind of expecting a stronger resistance from people when this kind of stuff started coming down the pike. And I concur with that. I know uh, Brendan O'Connell has said that. I know a number of people have said that. But for for many of us out there, the people we talk to, the information we exchange, and as I often say, you know, trust but verify. Uh, I love what's going on on Discord, uh, our page, and many of the others. Uh, I love what I see on Twitch, uh, and a number of the other other venues, and Bitchute and Rumble, and the list the list goes on. I mean, it is Pandora's box. They can shut down certain among us. They can shut down certain platforms. They can't shut down uh, all of us. And of course, speaking to this topic and the many facets of Tucker Carlson, um, just a reminder: uh, before Tucker was an actor on TV working for Fox, New Fox News, and this is the truth. Recall, remember this: uh, Tucker Carlson was an actor on King of Queens and Thirty Rock. Uh, not to mention that Dancing with the Stars thing that he did. And as I've raised before, he was an opinion columnist at the Arkansas Democrat Gazette in 1993 just to help clean up any of the messes that Bill and Hillary left behind when Bill became president. And amusingly, and I didn't realize this, Tucker Carlson's only a year older than me. So that means when he was at the Arkansas Democrat Gazette, he was about 24 and virtually right out of college. Now, where this gets interesting is Tucker's father, Dick Carlson, was heavily involved in media and banking, and Dick Carlson would eventually become the head of Voice of America under Ronald Reagan in 1986, and in 1992, he was the CEO of the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, aka PBS. Now, some other notable items are is that he addressed the Israeli Knesset with Malcolm Forbes in 1990, and in 1993, he addressed the British House of Commons with Richard Branson. And he was an observer throughout the 1990s of several foreign elections. Tucker's father was uh, first marriage ended in divorce. And his second wife was Patricia Caroline Swanson, who's an heiress to the Swanson Food Company wealth. And recall Ross uh, Perot's comments about the state of Arkansas being run by Tyson Chicken back during the 1992 election. Patricia was a niece to the famous William Fulbright of the famous Fulbright Scholarships. And the Fulbright Scholarships folks are connected to what? Cecil Rhodes and the London Corporation. Yep. And of course, Matthew Arrett, 
I tip my hat to the superior intellect. Matthew Arrett has quite rightly pointed this out about how it's all heavily influenced by London Corporation as well as the, the history. And of course, some of these family connections remind me of John McCain and his second wife, whose family power came from running Hensley and Company, one of the biggest distributors of Anheuser-Busch beer. So to quote George Carlin, it's one big club and you ain't in it. Uh, yep, absolutely. So Even I though the floor, my friend. Well, no, you did a great job, man. You did a great job. And you know, to such as the state of events and affairs here in the Western world as these uh, great elites, obsolete elites, I like to call them, uh, whose only job and purpose is to virtue signal and sell platitudes and axioms one toward another as they sit there and forecast into a vacuum completely devoid of any sort of reality. You know, the rest of us here suffer the decisions and the consequences of their stupid decisions. You know, it's unreal. And thus the world spins. And thus another <laughs> week goes by in the empire that is crumbling. Well, they are uh, they are continuing to push uh, that, uh, you know, I'm directly quoting from the uh, conference in Davos that the uh, our uh, feudalist lords and ladies uh, have informed us, don't worry, we're working on the taste of the fake meat. Uh, you'll eventually like it more than real meat. Because, oh, yeah. of course, real real meat and real food will be reserved for our, our feudalist overlords. Exactly. It's unbelievable. This is why it's like these people need to get punched in the face. Unreal. It's unreal. It's like everybody hates them. Nobody, I, I don't know anybody that I've met. Oh, I, I love what they're doing the World Economic Forum. No, everybody knows. This is, this is why it's not going to work. And honestly speaking, it's like nobody with any serious power takes these morons seriously. It's it's unbelievable. You and I both know this. I mean, I mean, we we, we both know who Schwab is. He's a he's a Kissinger understudy. That's all he is. He is, and as I've as I often keep repeating, folks, you know, it's it's uh, Soros is not Soros. Soros is run by Lord Malik Brown, yep. and there's a whole host of others out there that there's. You know, these these people are put up front to precisely take the hit in case, you know, God forbid, some crazed Plausible individual who doesn't, doesn't like what they're doing uh, goes after them directly, a la Bill Gates getting hit in the face with a pie. Um, and Dries278, you're absolutely correct. Elitist, not elite. And Sonny Mr. Black. Uh, Tucker does great work. Uh, and I, I just saw his... Uh, rather frightening piece he did last night talking about things about uh, Dick Nixon most people have forgotten about and then tying back in again Tucker's narrative about <laughs> CIA killed John F. Kennedy. Um, I mean, if if uh, Tom Brokaw had said that on NBC News in 1993, the earth would have stopped spinning. <laughs> uh, but I got a major network where, where uh, a major, you know, I don't want to say talking head, but a major reporter who's highly respected and has a huge audience has, has now repeatedly kept stating that the U.S. Intelligence Committee uh, murdered a chief executive. Now, I don't mean this the way I'm going to say it, but whether that's true or not, the fact somebody at his level has said that out loud. Uh, dear God, we're through, we're through the looking glass at this point. Hmm. Do we have uh, Do we have Harley next V? Uh, I have not heard anything back. I've emailed him. Uh, I have no response. Okay, probably not. No worries. Yeah, no worries. All right. With that being said, folks, thank you all for listening in. We will be back Monday, Monday, Monday. It's going to be the Outer Limits with the one and only Jet Blake. And with that being said, 
Enjoy your Fridays. Enjoy your weekend. Take care, everybody. Cheers.